0: The 2020 NBA playoffs, East Finals preview of Celtics Heat, eight years later, and a different NBA. In 2012, the Boston Celtics were at the end of a five-year stretch that had resurrected the franchise. The summer of 2007 brought Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen to Boston via trades. Suddenly, Paul Pierce had reasons for optimism. A year earlier, Danny Ainge and company drafted a skinny point guard with long arms named Rajan Rondo. Rondo was available at pick 21 because he couldn't shoot. To be specific, his 57% free-throw shooting in his one year at Kentucky was one of the worst marks among NBA draft prospect point guards in Draft Express's database. The Celtics made plenty of draft mistakes in those days, but Rondo turned into a steal. Like many players with abnormally large hands, shooting was his trickiest skill to master. The Garnett-Pierce-Allen-Rondo era got off to a brilliant start, 2007-08, brought 66 wins, masterful defense, and the joy of a title over the Lakers in June of 08. Despite some regular season injuries, the Quartet led the Lakers 3-2 in the 2010 Finals two years later, before Kendrick Perkins' knee buckled and the Celtics dropped the last two. A month later, LeBron made his move to Miami, and the Heat were suddenly favorites. The following spring in the 2011 East semis, LeBron and Wade's Heat beat the Celtics in five. Some NBA pundits claimed this was the passing of the proverbial torch, but that would prove to be the 2012 playoffs. The 2012 East playoffs. A year later, it was clear that Garnett was on his last legs. Paul Pierce's speed declined from moderately limited to severely limited and Ray Allen's free agency loomed over the Celtics. In the lockout-shortened 2011-12 season, the Celtics finished with a 27th-ranked offense in the NBA, but the best defense. The Bulls and Heat seemed destined to meet in the East Finals, but in the first round of the playoffs, top-seeded Chicago lost Derrick Rose to a torn ACL, which paved the way for Boston. The eighth-seeded Philadelphia 76ers faced Boston in the semis, To remind you, this was only eight years ago, but the NBA was entirely different. The two defensive-focused teams slugged it out for seven games. In total, the Celtics made 31 three-pointers, shooting 26.7% from deep, averaging a whopping 89.1 points per game. The Sixers, meanwhile, made 32 threes, averaging 85.4 points. To watch those games today is to travel to the ancient past. Those Rondo-led Celtics faced LeBron's heat in the East Finals. While Pierce limped through a tough series and Allen was hounded at all times, Rondo took over. Rondo pushed the heat to the brink. The Celtics took a 3-2 series lead with two of the first five games heading to overtime. Rondo averaged 21-11-7 and seven in the seven games. Fittingly enough, LeBron recruited Rondo to join him in L.A. in the summer of 2018. Game 6 was LeBron's show, and he took the Boston crowd out of it from the beginning. The box score shows he went 19 of 26 from the field to finish with 45 points, 15 boards, and 5 assists. The Celtics went 1 of 14 from deep, their old legs abandoning them. Two days later, Game 7 was tight for three quarters, but Miami pulled away and won easily. The Heat advanced to the finals where they beat the upstart Oklahoma City Thunder in five games. It was only eight years ago, but the NBA was an entirely different league then. Three-point shooting was just beginning to take over. Steph Curry was in his third year being coached by Mark Jackson and taking under five three-pointers per game. James Harden was also in his third season, coming off the bench for those Thunder. It's remarkable to watch the games today and then watch a full game from 2012. Players used to get subbed out when they took a three the coach didn't approve of. There were very few green lights from deep. Much has changed since then. Analytics has pushed the game toward the three-point line in the rim. The long two has become an endangered shot. Versatility and -and pick-and-roll savvy are the most important attributes of defense. Young Kawhi jump-started the aging Spurs and stole a title from LeBron in Miami in 2014. LeBron went back to Cleveland. The Golden State Warriors hired Steve Kerr. Steph Curry became Steph Curry, and the Warriors were suddenly the most dangerous team in the NBA, and three-pointers were cool. Steph, Clay, Draymond, Steph, Clay, and Draymond became Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Durant. The NBA was thoroughly broken for a little while, 73 wins, but all waves must crash, and the Warriors are now on the mend while they wait until next year. Kawhi's Raptors were a great story, but it was a foregone conclusion that last year would be a temporary situation. This year's Raptors made a valiant run, but the Celtics survived, and I mean survived, in seven. Giannis and the Bucks were supposed to run away with the East, but they peaked in January. The pandemic stopped them and everything else. 2020 East Finals Preview You can get into the nitty-gritty of this matchup and weigh the strengths and weaknesses of both teams, but it's unlikely you'll find a definitive favorite. Vegas gives the Celtics a 58% chance to win the series. It would be surprising if the series doesn't go 6. My gut says Celtics in 7, but it'll probably come down to who can make the most contested threes as both defenses will limit easy baskets, and which team can get the other in foul trouble. Bam Adebayo and Daniel Tice being the optimal targets of fouls. The Celtics have the more well-rounded offensive star in Jason Tatum, not yet 22 years old. The Heat have the most dominant big man in Bam Adebayo, who operates from the elbows. The Celtics have the most impressive open-court threat in Jalen Brown. The Heat have the best catch-and-shoot marksman in the NBA in Duncan Robinson. 46 percent on catch and shoot. The Celtics have one of the top perimeter defenders in the NBA in Marcus Smart. Jimmy Butler isn't too far behind. One advantage that Miami had over most other teams from mid-March through mid-July while the NBA was on pause, the Heat practiced together on a regular basis as the vast majority of their players stayed in Miami. That collective cohesion and the team's somewhat maniacal approach to conditioning had Miami ready to go once the seeding game started. Tatum's green light has never been greener. His attempts from deep jumped from 3.9 to 7.1 this season, making 40.3%. Tatum's Game 7 against Toronto was masterful. 29 points, 12 boards, 7 assists. Spolstra will blanket Tatum and Brown with Butler and Adebayo. Kemba Walker will be happy not to have to deal with Kyle Lowry. It will be interesting to see how much Spolstra attempts to throw Kemba off by putting a bigger, more physical defender like Jay Crowder or Andre Iguodala on him. Speaking of Crowder and Iguodala, both came over to Miami after the All-Star break in a trade that sent Justice Winslow, James Johnson, and Dion Waiters to Memphis. Iguodala's 36 at the tail end of a great career in which he established himself as the perfect complementary player on the Warriors' title runs. Crowder became a fan favorite in Boston in 2014 through 2017 due to his toughness and timely shooting. An up-and-down shooter throughout his career, Crowder's accuracy has spiked since joining the Heat. He's been seeing wide-open looks and has clearly been told not to come inside the arc in order to give Butler, Bam, and Dragic room to operate at the elbows and in isolation. Against the Bucks, Crowder took 49 three-point attempts in only five games and took two shots inside the arc. Celtics coach Brad Stevens will certainly game plan to keep eyes on Crowder spacing and slipping around the arc. This is the benefit of the attention Duncan Robinson is being given on the other side of the arc. In a pick-your-poison scenario, Milwaukee picked Crowder, and it bit them. Dragic is a crafty scoring point guard who has been nagged by inconsistency and injuries since signing a big contract with Miami. The time off certainly seems to have helped the 34-year-old, who will be an unrestricted free agent as soon as the season ends. Expect smart to smother Dragic assuming Jalen and Tatum can stay out of foul trouble on Butler and Adebayo. Marcus Smart will need to keep shooting with the confidence he found in the Raptors series. After making one of his first 13 from deep in the first three games of the first round, Smart has gone 25 of 64, 39%, over the last eight playoff games. Though playing 50 minutes in Game 6's two-overtime thriller and finishing with a triple-double of 23, 11, and 10, likely contributed to Smart's 2 of 10 from deep in Game 7. One uncertain X factor is the return of Celtics forward Gordon Hayward. As of Sunday night, the Celtics haven't declared when Hayward will return. His conditioning has to be an issue after recovering from a severely sprained ankle in Game 1 of the first round. I'd expect Hayward to get 10 to 15 minutes off the bench by Game 4 or 5, working his way deeper into the rotation. Giving each Celtic a few more minutes of rest will be key if the series ends up going six or seven, as many think it will. Remember, the Heat are notorious for their conditioning, and they swept the Pacers in the opening round, then beat the Bucks in five, so they've been resting. Brad Wanamaker, Robert Williams, Hayward, and Grant Williams will all be needed. Celtics fans are looking forward to some sweet revenge from eight years ago. Game one is Tuesday.